back on the chronology again this morning and we're going to be looking at the transfer of power from David to Solomon. Two weeks ago we looked at David's victories and also his failings. We said that yes he was a man after God's own heart but also he was a man. He was flawed, he was imperfect, he was prone to wander and to lust after the things of the world. One great example of that, we say great example, prominent example, was of course that of David with Bathsheba. We know that David in a moment of weakness looked out, saw Bathsheba and desired her and then did all that he could to seduce her and then cover up that seduction and ultimately have her husband murdered. Yes, a man after God's own heart, but also simply a man, flawed and perfect and prone to wander and lust after the things of the world. But as we touched on last week, that uh, beautiful scripture found in Romans chapter 8, which speaks, I guess, of the heart of God throughout the whole of the scripture, which says that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And this idea that God can bring something redemptive out of anything, out of even the most unpleasant circumstance, God can bring something of of beauty, of, of richness, of fruitfulness. And a great example of that is what happens with David and Bathsheba. Yes, a, a terrible situation. David behaved so poorly and and we wouldn't ever want to skirt over that or, or dance around it. But what we have is God bringing something of beauty out of that, and that is Solomon. Solomon, of course, is the son that is born to Bathsheba after they lose their first son, that being the hand of judgment of, of God. So we're going to read a range of verses this morning as we look at this transition. It brings us up to speed as we as we transition out of David's rule and into Solomon's rule. And so the first thing we're going to do is look at the book of uh, 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 2. And we're going to look at a few short verses at the beginning of, of chapter 2. And, and these paint the picture of this moment. It says, As the time approached for David to die, he ordered his son Solomon, As for me, I am going the way of all of the earth. Be strong and be a man, and keep your obligation to the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes, his commands, ordinances, and decrees. This is written in the law of Moses so that you will have success in everything you do and wherever you turn. And so that the Lord will fulfill his promise that he made to me. If your sons take care to walk faithfully before me with all their heart and all their soul, 
you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. So what we see here is David is about to die. It's a beautiful little phrase, actually. He says, I am going the way of all of the earth. It's just that simple reality that we all face. David understands this, but he also has sufficient faith to not let that trouble him greatly. And he hands the mantle of responsibility over to his son. What we know is that his son is made king in private, just like David was made king in private in uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 23 and then publicly in chapter 29. But what we also, I think it's worth us noting, is that the we might say the prerequisites that we find in 1 Kings chapter 2. And that is, he's told by his father, Solomon is told by his father, be strong and be a man. That takes us back to Joshua, doesn't it? Be strong and have good courage. That dynamic of actually take a deep breath and and show that you have substance about you. And not just that it's you, but actually that you know where your strength and your courage comes from. Verse 3, keep your obligation to the Lord your God to walk in his ways and keep his statutes, commands, ordinances and decrees. When we think about obligations today, do we think about them in a positive or a negative light? I think perhaps in contemporary culture we would see them as negative and David here is laying them out as as something that is serious, something that shouldn't be made light of, but but I think that he's also, in a sense, reminding Solomon of the richness of the obligation. So, walk in God's ways, keep his statutes, commands, ordinances and decrees. Solomon might say, well, Dad, where do I go to find all these incredible things? David says, this is written in the law of Moses so that you will have success in everything you do and wherever you turn. So here's a thought. The law brings about life. The law brings about, what does it say here? Success in everything you do and wherever you turn. When you think of the law, do you think of it in that way? Clearly David did. And then it says, and so the Lord will fulfill his promise that he made to me. And this promise, of course, is that there's the beginning of a dynasty. Now, we've in our journey so far, we have wrestled over this idea of dynasty and we haven't really seen it or viewed it in a good light. It's been perceived uh, negatively because of the context. The actual idea of dynasty isn't the problem. It's the humanity within the dynasty that's the problem. How is David suggesting that that will be resolved? Well, verse 4 says, If your sons, this is the promise that David says that God gave to him, If your sons take care to walk faithfully before me with all their heart and all their soul, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. So there's a prerequisite, almost a precondition, and that is that you must walk with the Lord, walk faithfully with him. And how do you do that? Well, you commit your heart, all of your heart and all of your soul. You give God your everything. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. It's that dynamic of, listen, give God everything. Walk faithfully before him and he will, he will make your path straight. 
So that's the prerequisite. And then if we look to 1 Chronicles chapter 28, we see something of a, of a commissioning, which again reinforces the responsibility that David is placing upon Solomon's, uh, Solomon's calling. 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verses 9 and 10, and then we'll jump forward to verse 20. It says, As for you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father, and serve him wholeheartedly and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands the intention of every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you abandon him, he will reject you forever. Realize now that the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. So there it is. There is this incredible encouragement, this warning. Walk with him. Do not forsake him. And in the commissioning, your task is going to be to build this sanctuary, a house for the Lord. Be strong and and do it. So that's the father's uh, instruction, David, that is, from his father in heaven. But the question then is, what kind of ruler is Solomon going to be? Yes, his father has placed demands on him, and we would argue they are wise demands. But a child cannot live and won't live solely on, on the morals and the faith of his parents, of his father and or his mother. One of the best bits of advice I was given, and I'm still learning how to live out fully, of course, because this is a picture of perfection, but it says a man becomes a man when he takes responsibility for his life. A man becomes a man when he takes responsibility for his actions, for his choices. I mean, ultimately, that's what it is to be an adult. Um, and sometimes we, we do better at that than others, of course. But we see something of that in, in this moment. So when, when Solomon is handed the reins of power and is thrust into this world of, we could say, endless potential, what substance is in him in that moment? Well, Second Chronicles 1 7 to 13 is going to give us an indication of what kind of substance is in Solomon in that moment. Let's read these words together. This is, in essence, a personal encounter between Solomon and the living God, and it's, in a sense, a, a, a personal commissioning of his as well. Verse 7 of chapter 1 of Second Chronicles says, That night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask. What should I give you? And Solomon said to God, You've shown great and faithful love to my father David, and you have made me king in his place. Lord God, let your promise to my father David now come true, for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Now grant me wisdom and knowledge, so that I may lead these people, for who can judge this great people of yours? God said to Solomon, Since this was in your heart and you have not requested riches, wealth, or glory, or for the life of those who hate you, and you have not even requested long life, but you have requested for yourself wisdom and knowledge that you may judge my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are given to you. I will also give you riches, wealth, and glory unlike what was given to the kings who were before you. 
or will be given to those after you. So Solomon went to Jerusalem from the high place that was in Gibeon in front of the tent of the meeting and he reigned over Israel. So what does this tell us about this moment in history but also about our reality as well? Well let's look at again like we looked at last week, big picture dynamics and and the personal uh, reality of, of our own lives, the personal dynamics as well. The big picture dynamic. Well, here we have Solomon stepping into a place that many have done before him and ultimately many would do thereafter in that place of rule, whether it had been a priest or a judge or now we have, or a prophet, and now we have a king. And it's into a position that ultimately many had failed in. And beyond Solomon, and even within Solomon's own time, people would fail in this position. And the question we could ask is, what was the reason for their failures? What was the reason for their failures? Why is it that so many rulers, so many leaders had failed before Solomon, and so many would fail after him. Why is it that Solomon himself ultimately would fall short? And, and I would propose that it's actually a very simple answer to that question. And the simple answer is that everything goes wrong when things get out of balance. And so for people before Solomon, things went wrong when they went out of balance. And so Solomon is stepping into this place where many before him have failed. And, and if we look at the examples, even the nearest examples to Solomon, we look at Saul. Saul lacked what David had. David had the true heart for God. And that is simply a longing to please God above everything and anyone else. Now, we, we've laid out that David's flaws are, are revealed and recorded in the moments where he let things get out of balance. Saul was out of balance from the offset. Saul was out of balance before he stepped in and God tried to warn the people, but they didn't listen. David went out of balance at certain points on his journey. He lost his focus. He took his eyes off of God's way. And we know with David that led to uh, taking his eyes off God's way with regards to the purity of another man's marriage bed and then ultimately another man's right to life. And, and, and the contrast of that is that he put his eyes on the prize that was never his to hold. David, of course, laid hold of Bathsheba and, uh, and of course, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, was, was murdered. And so here we have Solomon stepping into a place of power that has the potential to bring every leader unmerited benefit. That's just what happens when you step into that kind of role. You step into a place of unmerited benefit. And with that comes riches, wealth and glory. And those things are only there because of the position. It's not because of the leader's character or their gifting. They just come with the position. And throughout history, it could be boiled down, I believe, to this. And we look at our own leaders today, we can apply the same principle. Leadership amplifies the substance of what's already in an individual. 
let me say that again. Leadership amplifies the substance of what's already in an individual. So a man with a tendency to the things of the world is at risk of his desires being met without obstacle, without hindrance. They're amplified and and he can step into anything that he desires. And then, and then the moment uh, of leadership, when someone steps into that space, they, they ultimately have a choice from then on. Do they want to become a resource for the world kingdom or a man with a heart for God that has the potential to be used for God's kingdom? That's where we see something of the richness of David's rule. For the most part, he did not prioritize his own desire. And of course, the example we've shared is where he did fall short in that. Solomon in this moment has the chance to start things on the right footing. And of course, we've read what he asked for. What did he ask for? Well, he asked simply, grant me wisdom and knowledge so that I may lead these people. So that's what he desired above all else. And his request is grounded in relationship with God and is based on God's promises. You see, because of his position, he could have had anything his heart desired. And and irrespective of God's role in that, he could have had anything his heart desired because of the position he was in. But he knows that there is something that only God can give. Now, perhaps that comes from him growing up in a household of abundance and seeing that even the greatest the world could offer, that ultimately would never fully satisfy. And so he knew that there was something beyond all of the trappings of his position that he needed to lay hold of. I heard a a fascinating interview with Cliff Richard it's a, an old interview. In fact, I think there was three or four of them he did with Parkinson. And Cliff Richard was talking about how he came to faith. And credit to, to Parkey, he, he did ask the important questions and gave Cliff a chance to tell his testimony, which was really good to hear. Cliff Richard was saying that he loved the fame. He loved the trappings. He would go on stage and for that hour and a half, two hours, he would soak up the adulation and then walk off the stage and think, is that all there is? Is that, there must be more. It's the old alpha tagline, which of course was not in play back then. But it's that dynamic of, is there more to life than this? And Cliff Richard realized that ultimately that could only be found in Jesus Christ. There's something of of Solomon, I think, to be seen in that very dynamic. And that is that growing up in a household of abundance, seeing that even the greatest the world can offer would never truly satisfy, and therefore he knew that he needed something beyond all of the trappings of his position. Now, Solomon's rule is the first handover in the Davidic dynasty. And and like we said before, dynasties have never worked previously across the nations because they have not been built on the right principle, on the right premise, and that is Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Give God everything. Make him the prominent, preeminent dynamic of your rule. From generation to generation, 
So they've failed in every other nation and even the attempts that there would have been in, in Israel as well. So what we have is that we have this, the first step in the Davidic dynasty. And there are several factors that culminated in making this moment possible. Yes, Solomon is raised in a household whose heart was submitted to God. And I think that's huge. We never underplay the role of parents in raising children in the word and in God's ways. We would champion that at OBC and and we champion that with each other because we can never underestimate the the impact that will have. When, When children step out on their own, the decisions that they make will be in large part, I believe, a result of what we as parents have poured into them. So when we have them in our care, raise them in the word and in God's ways. So that's one dynamic of, of, of how this has come to be and how it might just work. But here's the bigger dynamic at play. And I think this for me is the more important one, not to diminish the role of a parent, but to say that even without that, there is hope. The bigger dynamic at play for me here is God. Of course, it's God. But last week we touched on, and again we mentioned it just earlier on, that God works all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And so what we see here is that God has taken someone's horrendous decision David, doing what he did with Bathsheba and with Uriah. And after executing his judgment, the, the firstborn son of Bathsheba and David dies. God poured out his mercy on their repentant hearts. David's heart is repentant. He's not just embarrassed and ashamed by what he's done, but he is repentant. He's on his knees before God, crying out for forgiveness. And what happens next is that God brings forth fruit. Bathsheba gives birth to Solomon. And Solomon, when his moment comes, he goes on to ask God, not for riches, long life and fame, but for wisdom and knowledge to rule over God's people well. What does that mean for us then when we think about how is this relevant to us? Well, there, I think there are a multitude of lessons we can take from this moment in history. Yes, to raise our children to know God in absolute submission to his word and will. That's in essence what David asked Solomon to do. He said, listen, you must be obedient. Submit to God. Give him everything. And if you do that, he will make your path straight. So raise our children to know God. The, the alternative is that we just let our children have, have at it and hope that God might intervene in the future and, and God can intervene. But that isn't the best approach we could have. It's not the responsible and godly approach to things. If we compromise in that, our children, when, when they're squeezed in life, they will compromise too on what God wants for them. But the bigger picture beyond that is that 
and it stretches beyond the family home. It's this reminder that, A, God can do immeasurably more than we can ask or think. That Solomon wanted certain things for the right reasons, and God gave him those things, but God also blessed him beyond that because his heart was right in his asking. So God can do immeasurably more. The other thing for us, the big picture dynamic, is that God can redeem something from even the darkest time. We talked about this and touched on it last week when we look at what's unfolding in the world. There is power in the redemptive dynamic of God to take a difficult situation and make it fruitful. Solomon is the very tangible example of fruit from a difficult situation. And the last thing is that this whole, this whole moment in history reminds us where the power for change truly comes from. Where does it come from? Where does it rest? It comes from God, but ultimately it rests with us. It rests in every single individual's personal relationship and submission to God. And so, we're looking at this context, Solomon is a ruler of a nation, and we think, okay, that means we must pray for our leaders. And I would say, absolutely. Yep, we know how important it is to pray for leaders, but I don't believe that that's how we best transform a nation. In a sense, it could be seen as a quick fix to a massive problem. But I don't think it's the most effective way to transform a nation. We've mentioned this before, and I think it's worth reiterating that as part of a Baptist family, we don't believe in in top-down leadership. In a sense, obviously, from God to us, it's top-down. But within us, it's not top-down. It is all of us being led by the Spirit. And therefore, each individual personal heart being transformed. And so, when we think about it on a national level, our nation needs transformed. The nations need transformed. Now, we might argue that actually, prophetically, we're in a time where the nations ultimately are not going to be transformed. Maybe by now it is no longer possible. Maybe God knows that actually, because of the will of humanity, And the heart of humanity, the fallen nature and sinful nature, it's no longer possible. But what about the individual? What about our own heart? Our own hearts can be transformed by the power of God. Our own household can be transformed by the power of God. Our own family can be transformed by the power of God, even perhaps reasonably large portions of our communities could be transformed by the power of God. And, and, and what I mean by that is by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not by God just pouring something out on people without their consent, but rather God responding to the heart's cry of a repentant sinner with the power of the Spirit. Because the transformed heart can be led by the Spirit. And that's how we change 
things. That's how we transform a person, a, a, a household, a family, a community. It's done one heart at a time by the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the Prince of Peace and the truth that is found in him. And so we can use Solomon as inspiration inspiration for the kind of leader we would long to have. And we might look and say, Father, wouldn't it be amazing to have a leader that would turn to you and say, don't give me all the power, all the trappings that come with this office, but just give me your wisdom and knowledge. And yeah, amen, a great prayer for our leaders. But but I want to also encourage us, let's say that prayer over ourselves. Please pray that over me. Let's pray it over each other and, and let's pray it over those that are not yet walking in relationship with Jesus Christ. And let's not just pray it over them. Let's let God, by his spirit, move us to action to share his truth in a way that can be heard. You are the best evangelist wherever you are. Wherever God has put you, he's put you there for a reason, not just to pay your bills and to give you a degree of comfort, not just to enable you to look after those that you love and bless others, but also to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to bring the hope from the Prince of Peace into that moment, into that place. And for that, we need the Spirit and we need God's wisdom and God's knowledge. How is the Holy Spirit described by Jesus? When the Comforter comes, what will he do? Well, he's a comforter, but also he will teach them everything. He will bring to remembrance everything Jesus taught. The wisdom and knowledge of God comes by the Spirit, and therefore that's what we need at this time. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the chance to open your word and hear what again is a familiar story, but just hear your thrust from it, your thrust of truth, the points that you want to draw. And God, I'm conscious that there will be so much more that you will want to convey to us from this. And I pray, God, that as we, as we reflect on what we've heard and we look back on your word, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal the fullest picture to us. But Father, help us, we pray, as we walk out the realities of this truth in our time. By your Spirit, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.